should have your, if you've got your sword with you, take it out and open it up. Uh, what, not a dangerous weapon? Well, it is, isn't it? So uh, open up your Bible to, to Ruth and chapter 3. There's a heading as you're settling, wise waiting, wise waiting. Let me pray. Father, this morning I would pray that now that you would come with power, not through me, but your word. You'd speak to the, very, to the very depth and the being and the core of our hearts, that we may be so stirred, that we may be so challenged, that we may be so encouraged, and that our hearts lifted and we, we, are, we have ears to hear, that the deaf will hear, that the blind will see, that the lame will walk. And uh, I pray now that you would, you would speak in anointing power through your word for the sake of glory, for the sake of the glory of Jesus. Amen. Right, wise waiting, wise waiting. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things I hate to hear is when somebody calls me foolish. Hate it. You're a fool. Ephesians 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. But here's the reality. The reality is that many times I am foolish. And the reality is that many times as Christians we can be foolish. We can be wise in our own eyes. Wisdom is doing what is right in the Lord's eyes. Foolishness is doing what is right or wise in your own eyes. And, and, and this whole passage really is framed around wisdom and folly, around wisdom and foolishness. Now, I don't know about you, but the suspense of the book is killing me. I sort of want to know where this thing is going. A widowed Naomi and a widowed Ruth return back to Bethlehem after a foolish journey to Moab in chapter 1. Chapter 2, verse 1, the author sets us up with this family kinsman redeemer, Boaz. God's unseen hand is bringing a wealthy Jewish believer into the same space, into the same field as a poor Gentile Moabite believer. God's wisdom. Boaz promises to protect Ruth, promises to provide for Ruth, provided she stays in his field. But at the end of chapter 2, if you've got your Bible open, we sort of are left on a bit of a cliff-hanging sort of moment, aren't we? Because where's like this thing going? Take a look. Let me show you what I mean. Have a look at chapter 2 and verse 23, hopefully coming up. So... So all this happens, we get to chapter 2, 23, the last verse. So Ruth stayed close to the woman of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And we're left on the cliffhanger, aren't we? We sort of got these questions. What now? What's coming next? Surely there's more to come. Surely like Naomi and Ruth, we're expecting more from Boaz. And you sort of feel the tension, don't you? Last verse, chapter 2, verse 23, into chapter 3, verse 1, one day. You feel the gap? You feel the tension? 
Now, we don't know how long it is between 2.23 and 3.1, but I think we're intended to know that there was some sort of great gap or distance between the two. Now, just back up into chapter 2, verse 20, if you've got your Bible, notice that Naomi, Naomi has realized along the way that Boaz is a kinsman family redeemer. The writer is intending for us to know that there must be more to come, that there's a greater expectation here. Kinsmen redeemers were family rescuers. They, they rescued poor family members, vulnerable family members, orphaned, widowed, sick, whatever it might be. God has awakened Naomi's hope. Naomi's bitterness is lifting and breaking. Her depression is, 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 is lifting as she sees God's hand, good hand, working in the bitterness of her life. She expects more from Boaz. She's expecting more to come. She knows that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. Boaz knows that he's a kinsman redeemer. And we're left what? They're left what? Waiting. Waiting. And that's the first picture that we've got here. It's a picture of waiting. Now let me ask you, how well do you do at waiting? Hmm? How do you feel about waiting in those long queues or slow queues at the bank, the shop? How about that waiting on the phone when you're speaking to your insurance provider, credit card, and, in, and, and, and phone provider? You do well with that waiting? How about you know, when you drive up to Perth? You know that spot, don't you? It's peak hour. It's gridlock. It's right there. It's about 50 k's out, and it, it is kilometers for car after car after car. Is that just one of those be happy, go lucky moments for you? How many of you are raging at that moment? Come on, put up. Tell me. There's a fury raging. Okay. Waiting on the Lord is not something that we often find easy to do, is it? Naomi has got this newfound hope in the Lord. And she's waiting to see how things work out. That's what faith is. Faith believes that God is working things out. Faith believes that God is working good in all things, even in the bitterness. But let's be honest, the waiting for the Lord to bring about what He's going to do is really, it's really hard at times, isn't it? And in fact, sometimes even in this lifetime, we might not get to see how the Lord brings about things. Because Psalm 5 verse 3 says, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, Lord, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. That's wisdom. Now let me ask you this. What happens when you don't wait on the Lord to bring about his purposes. What happens when we don't wait? Well, what we do is we take things into our own hands and we try to do things and effect things and even manipulate things in order to get the outcome that we want a little bit quicker than we're prepared to wait for it, right? Remember the overarching theme of the book of Ruth. If you backed up into chapter 1, verse 1, remember this? In the days when the judges ruled. In the days when the judges ruled, everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. So when you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, it is a famine in the land. Famine in the land. 
will take things into your own hands, right? Don't pray. Don't seek the Lord. Don't seek his word. Don't seek the prophet. Don't seek wise counsel. You've got a problem with famine. Fix it and make a foolish decision and go where? Go to my web. Chapter 1, verse 4. Elimelech's sons marry Moabite woman. We've got a single problem. We've got a singleness problem. So what do you do? Well, don't pray. Don't wait on the Lord. Don't seek the word. Don't seek the prophet. Don't seek wise counsel. You've got a problem with singleness? Well, then just marry Moabite woman. Foolish. The, uh, the Lord says very clearly in his word that Christians are to marry Christians. Now, that is not a guarantee of a great marriage. But that's the, words, the word of the Lord. So you've got a single problem. And Mr. Non-Christian or Mrs. Non-Christian comes along and what do you do? You, you, you don't wait. You take, things into your, you take your things into your own hands. Don't wait on the Lord. Don't pray. Don't seek the word. Don't seek wise counsel. Don't speak to your pastor. You've got a single problem. Well, fix it. Marry non-Christian. Foolish. Many years ago now, probably about 15 years ago, back in South Africa, uh, I was still a pastor then, I think, and, and about 15 years ago, we were in a place called Port Elizabeth and uh, went through a real season, real season of, of financial tough times. And, 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 and so in my attempt to fix my problem of, of tightness, what I did as a pastor is I, I worked a little rental system. And, and it, it, was, it was after hours, so it wasn't moonlighting. But I started a little rental system, and then I got myself involved in a business deal with a friend that went decidedly pear-shaped. You see, what I did was I just took things into my, into my own hands. I, I didn't seek the Lord. I didn't uh, seek His Word. I didn't seek the wisdom from my wife and the elders. And if I am brutally honest, the reason I didn't seek the wisdom of my wife and elders, because I think I knew what they were going to say, and I didn't want to hear it anyway. You see, what, what happens is that when, when, we, when we don't wait on the Lord and we take things into our own hands, what happens is we step outside of the principles, the precepts, the commands, the revealed will of the Lord. And often there are very painful consequences. And yes, are we not thankful that God works goodness even in our stupidness? God works goodness even in our foolishness, but that is not a, uh, that's not a ticket to go and be foolish and not seek the Lord. Let me ask you a couple of questions this morning as we really ease into this. I wonder this morning whether you're struggling to wait on the Lord for His hand. Whether one of you is struggling to wait on the Lord to change things. I wonder in what ways perhaps this morning you're taking things into your own hands. You're being wise in your own eyes because you don't want to wait. Psalm 40 verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord and He turned to me and He heard my cry. I want to say to you, my brothers and sisters this morning, wait on the Lord. That means pray, 
Seek the word of the Lord. Seek wise counsel. Don't try and fix your problems your way. It's always foolish. Or usually foolish. The first picture we've got here is with a picture of waiting. Which takes us to our second picture which is a picture of wisdom. In other words, what we've got now with Naomi and Ruth is we've got a picture of what wisdom looks like as you wait. Now, if you've got your sword open, you might have a look at chapter 3, 1 to 5, and you might think it seems to be the very opposite of wisdom. It might seem to you like Naomi is actually doing the very thing I've just said we don't do. It seems like perhaps she's taking things into her own hands. She's trying to manipulate the situation. She's getting what? She's getting impatient on Boaz, so she's maneuvering the whole deal in order to get Ruth to do stuff. But actually, no. No. It's the exact opposite. What we've got here with Naomi directing Ruth to do what we'll see in a moment is she's actually a snapshot of wisdom. She's a snapshot of what it means to be wise when you wait. Listen, she's actually, and I'm going to show it to you, she's actually making decisions within God's revealed word. Let me show you what I mean. Got your Bible? Have a look at chapter 3, verse 1. Naomi wants to find a home for Ruth. This is very, very important. Why? Well, Naomi is elderly. She cannot look after Ruth. If you go to chapter 4, verse 5, we discover that Naomi is selling her land. Why? Because she is so poor. She also needs to continue her family line, or she loses her inheritance. So it's very, very important within the construct of God's Word that she finds a home, finds a husband for Ruth. Now let me ask you this. That's the situation, and she is waiting. If Naomi were to take things in her own Hands. If she was to be wise in her own eyes, what might she have done? She could have done a number of things. She could have parceled Ruth off to the first wealthiest Israelite who took an interest in her. She could have sold her land outside of the family line. She could have lost her earthly inheritance. She could have encouraged Ruth to chase younger men. Have a look at chapter 3 verse 10. We'll get there. But remember how Boaz speaks to Ruth? He says, you did not run after, after younger men. I think we're meant to get the impression that Ruth was a fairly attractive young lady. And then you've got Ruth acting on the wisdom of Naomi. You've got Ruth not acting wise in her own eyes. She, she listens to her mother-in-law. So see what happens. Ruth verse 3, um, Naomi verse 3 tells Ruth to go and wash and perfume herself, put on the best clothes and go to the threshing floor where the wheat and the chaff are separated. You want to farm an illustration, don't come to me. Speak to the wage and farmer Dale somewhere in here after the service. Verse 4, Naomi says to her, as you go, don't let him know that you're there. Wait till the man's had a good meal, his tummy's full, he's having a good old snooze. And then what you do is you go and uncover his feet, you go and lie down there, and Boaz will tell you what to do. Now let me just say at this point, this is not a recipe for dating and a way to win a husband. Heard a sermon um, 
recently where, where this passage was taken and used as a template for godly dating. Please don't go there. Now, just a little note. With Ruth perfuming herself and washing herself and getting all clothes, was there something in that in making herself attracted to Boaz? Yes, probably. But here's actually the thing. The reason she did that, it was an indication to Boaz that she was no longer in mourning because of the death of her husband. She was making herself available for marriage. Now stay with me here. This is critical. Why is this a wise strategy for Naomi? What does she know? One, she knows, verse 2, that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. She also knows that Boaz knows that he's a kinsman redeemer. Naomi also knows the kinsman redeemer laws. She knows that God has set the whole thing up to protect and, 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 and care for, for widows, for people like, like her and Ruth. And she also knows that, that Boaz is a man of integrity, godliness, purity, and kindness. So here's what you've got to see. Naomi is not acting on a whim. She's not getting impatient. This is not pre-technology dating techniques. She is not acting wise in her own eyes. She is not asking Ruth to go and seduce Boaz, and she knows that Boaz is not going to take advantage of Ruth. Here's what you've got to see. It's a picture of wisdom because Naomi is acting in accordance with the kinsman-redeemer framework. She's acting in accordance with what God has revealed. She's also acting in accordance with what she knows about Boaz. To put it another way, she is acting in accordance with God's revealed framework of kinsman, redeemer, life into which she fits. Does that make sense? In other words, she's acting in accordance with godly principles and precepts, and then she is waiting to see what the Lord will do. Notice verse 4. What does she say to Ruth? Do what I'm telling you to do, and then what? Then you've got to wait. Then you've got to wait. We've got to see what Boaz is going to do. Now notice Ruth. Ruth acts in accordance with that wisdom. She says to her mother-in-law, I will do whatever you say. Let it aside. Probably always a good thing to do, right? Listen to your mother-in-law. Not. Whatever. Okay? Here's the thing. Ruth, Ruth doesn't know much about Israelite law. She doesn't know about kinsman redeemer stuff. She doesn't know how the whole love, because these laws were based on love, God's love for his people. She didn't understand all the complexities of kinsman redeemer and guardian redeemers. So she listens to the wisdom of Naomi and says, I will do whatever you've asked me to do. Let me pull this a little tighter down this way. You see, God reveals his word, he reveals his commands. He reveals his precepts. He reveals his principles all laid down in, in the word. And then he gives us freedom to make decisions. Now, here's the thing. So, for example, you as a Christian, as a child of God, you can do whatever work you want to do. Whatever you want to do, whatever you're gifted at, go and do it. Charlotte, go and do whatever you want to do. Except there are a few boundaries, right? I mean, don't become a drug dealer. I mean, there's a boundary for you. Don't become something else. I won't even go there. Okay? Um, but here's the thing. But when it comes to wisdom, you can do whatever you want. There's certain boundaries. But then you've got wisdom that you need to think through. 
So, take an example. You want to go and work and be a FIFO man or a FIFO woman, right? Now, usually you go for the money, right? We go for job satisfaction, right? No, okay. So, but you want to go FIFO, you want to go make some money, but here's, here's the wisdom. Are you free to do that? Sure. God doesn't say you can't be FIFO. But here's the questions. What effect would it have if I'm away from my, assuming you're married, children? What effect will it have on my family? What effect will it have on my relationship with my wife? What effect will it have on my relationship with my kids? What effect will it have on my spiritual condition? What sort of temptations is that going to put me into? Am I actually going to be able to fellowship with God's people even if I'm away? That's what it means to apply godly wisdom within a framework of God's revealed word. Now, my question to you is this this morning, and it's a very personal, it's a very practical question. Are you, am I, are we making godly decisions that is based on the, the revealed word of God? Are we seeking his wisdom, wisdom from one another? Or actually, are the decisions that we're making, they just purely what we want to do. They're right in our own eyes, and we actually really don't give a fig what's going on around in God's word. What's your decision making looking like? Confession time. I've always said I'm more sinful than a lot of you, and I really am. I believe that. This is a real struggle for me. I want to tell you, when it comes to accepting God's word and, and, and getting wisdom and gleaning it from others, oh, it's so hard. Getting wisdom from a wiser wife than myself is tough. Sorry, Belinda. It's tough. It's tough. Getting wisdom from my elders, it's really, 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 really tough. So, confession time. Uh, you, you'll know a couple of weeks ago, right, that I, I had one of those sermons. It's called my doozy sermon, at least a couple of times a year. And, and in terms of the content and in terms of the approach, it was a doozy, inappropriate, just didn't get it right. You got an email from me saying, please forgive me, did a, you know, duffed it up again, and da-da-da-da. But here's what you didn't know. Here's what you didn't know. When I was preparing that sermon, I knew that I knew that I knew that I should have checked it with my wife. I knew it. I should have checked it with my other. I knew that I knew, but the knew that I knew I didn't do. Oh, and I made a real hash. Why? I was just being wise in my own eyes. And I'll leave that with you. Naomi and Ruth are acting within the wisdom, making decisions within the wisdom of God's revealed word, which is why you get verses like this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5, says, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn from them. And here's a beautiful verse, verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Oh, Collier, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get Understanding, don't be wise in your own eyes. So what happens? Ruth gets all spruced up. She gets all washed up, perfumed up, nice clothes. She goes. You've got to picture the scene, right? She goes. I don't know, uncovers his feet, lies down at his feet. And you've got to love verse 8. Hey, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. And 
He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. What, what do you think startled the man? Do you think the Lord just woke him up like a, like a Holy Spirit nudge? Doom. Or do you think that I, here's my, here's, I think maybe unintentionally Ruth moved and she touched his feet. I don't know, something weird like, you know. I mean, just chance, chance, right? He just woke up in the middle of the night. Just chance, chance. But I, I mean, pragmatically, I mean, in, in the dog, if something startles a man, wakes him up, he sees this, this, this image of someone at the bottom of his feet and he goes like, who are you? I mean, that's a pretty, pretty, pretty good question to ask. Hey, it's in the dark. You can't see. Who are you? Which takes us to our third picture. So you've got this picture of waiting. And then you've got an illustration of wisdom in the waiting. Which brings us into a picture of the winning. It's a picture of winning. And verse 9 is, oh, it's beautiful. It's precious. It's glorious. Look at verse 9. Well, who are you? Who are you? She says to Boaz, I am your servant Ruth. Spread the cover of your garment over me. Spread the cover of your garment over me. Now, the only time this phrase is used in this way in the whole of the Bible is in one other place, Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 8. And it's when God speaks of Israel. Now listen to this. God says of Israel later, God to Israel through Ezekiel, later I passed by and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. You see the picture. God says, he, he puts a cover, a garment over Israel. It, it's, it's, a, it's a garment of protection. It's a garment of provision. It's a garment of salvation. It's a marriage proposal. It is God taking Israel to himself in marriage. What you've got when Ruth says, put your covering over me, she is making a marriage proposal. Now here's what Ruth is doing. Listen carefully, and you'll see the wisdom. Ruth is saying to Boaz, Boaz, be the kinsman redeemer you are called to be. You are a kinsman redeemer, so be one. Be to me that which God has called you to be. You've been called to protect, called to provide, called to marry if necessary. Be that to me, because that is what God has called you to be. I want to just say again, ladies, this is not a husband-getting template. Okay, but I need to ask you a question. Please just help me with this one. Is it kosher in Australian culture for a woman to propose to a man? I want to know what you do. All those in favor, kosher, woman to propose to a man. Not kosher. You just don't even know. Too lazy to put up your hand. What is going on? Well, is it kosher, yes or no? Okay, you know what? Okay. So here's the, here's the thing. I was preparing the sermon. Don't watch a lot of TV. I don't watch soap operas. But chance, 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 chance. I put on the TV and it happens to be home and away. That's all I know. I do not watch soapies. Here, listen. Chance, chance, 
the scene that comes on before I can flick it onto the cricket or something else. The scene is this woman on the beach, she's on her knees, she's got this ring, and she's asking this guy to marry her. Guess what he said? You have to come back next week, I'll tell you. Tell you. <laughs> he said no. Anyway, moving on. Do you see what Ruth's doing? She's asking Boaz to, to marry her. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wedding proposal. Don't, Boaz, don't just protect me physically. Don't just provide for me physically. Don't just give me food. Provide for me as a kinsman redeemer to take me as your wife. Cover me. Is it not a stunning picture of our wedding in Christ? You see, in Jesus, we've taken refuge under his saving wings. In Christ, we have been covered by his blood. In Christ, we have been clothed in his righteousness. In Jesus Christ, we are eternally provided for, eternally protected, eternally saved, eternally covered. The relationship of Jesus to his people, Jesus to his church, is one of bridegroom to bride. Christ has betrothed us. He has clothed us in the wardrobe of his righteousness. And if there was one verse that pulls this whole thing together, in one verse in the Old Testament, it's this one in Isaiah 61 verse 10. The prophet says, I delight greatly in the Lord. Oh, my soul rejoices in the Lord. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Brothers and sisters, by faith in Jesus, Jesus has clothed you in the garment of his salvation. He's wardrobed you in the clothing of righteousness. He's taken you to be his bride. He's made promises of protection and provision, salvation over you. What a picture it is of our kinsman redeemer. Not Boaz, but Jesus Christ. The picture of waiting moves to a picture of wisdom. It moves to a picture of a wedding. And then it, it comes back and it sort of doubles back here is, is to a picture of, of, of wisdom. And are you not on the edge of your seat saying, what's he going to say? Surely he's going to say yes, right? Surely. I really thought that bloke on the beach was going to say yes. I really thought so. Firstly, what does he do? He compliments her, verse 10, if you've got your Bible. Look at verse 10. The Lord bless you. This is a greater kind. This is such a great kindness to me. And, 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 and you haven't run after younger men. Boaz recognizes the godliness of both Ruth and Naomi here. He knows he's a kinsman redeemer. She knows he's a kinsman redeemer. Listen to this. He knows that she has the right to actually ask him to marry her because that's the way the kinsman redeemer thing worked. Remember, she's acting out of godly wisdom. And surely he's going to say, he's going to say yes, right? Will you marry me? 
although it's true that I am a kinsman, God and redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. No! It's so sad. No! No, it's not, no, it's not the way it's supposed to happen. <sighs> what a letdown. What an anticlimax. I could talk about a cliffhanging thing here. But here's what you're going to see. It's another beautiful picture of, of wisdom. Now listen. I think, I, I think the writer has intended us to see that Ruth is attracted to Boaz and Boaz is attracted to Ruth. If he did what was right in his own eyes, what would he have done? He just would have taken her. He would have accepted that proposal. Maybe it would have led somewhere else. Who only knows? No one would have stopped him. Do you know why? Because everybody in Israel is doing what is right in their own eyes. Boaz sees her godliness. Then he acts in godliness. He acts in wisdom because he knows he is not first in line, kinsman, redeemer. He is second. And this is important because at this point, Ruth and Naomi didn't know that, did they? This was the bit that they were missing. Something gets revealed while they are waiting. And I want to say this to you, my brothers and sisters. I'm going to give you a personal example of this. When we wait, when we trust in the Lord, when we wait on His timing, when we seek His will, His way, we pray, we seek white counsel, and we're sort of in a bit of a waiting position, often God will reveal things that you just couldn't know unless you were waiting. 15 years ago, no longer, 20 years ago, back in Port Elizabeth, we, we moved to Port Elizabeth, Belinda and I take on this little church there that was meeting in a school and we, we, in our first or second year there, we were in a position to actually buy our first home. And obviously, a little bit of help from my mum. But here's the thing. The house we wanted to buy, we were dead set on this house. This house came up. We wanted it. This was it. But bizarrely, long story over coffee, we couldn't get this house. We, it was so infuriating. It was, uh, you just couldn't get the house. And so we ended up having to wait. Wait, 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 wait. Eventually, we buy another house. It was double the price of the one that we wanted to buy. But what we didn't know at the time, which got revealed as we were waiting, the house that we bought actually had an opportunity to build a granny flat on it. We built the granny flat. And the Lord brought us a destitute woman who rented that flat out for over four years while she got back on her feet and then moved on. Sometimes as you wait... God reveals things that you just would never see. And sometimes he forces you to wait as well. Boaz responds in a godly wisdom. I'm not first in line. I'm, I'm second. He knew his position. He doesn't take things in his own hands. He then acts in wisdom. He guards her. He protects her. Why? He says, sleep here, right? Sleep here safely tonight. Then he allows her to go home early the next morning because he's protecting her integrity, another, another picture of generous purity. And then when she goes home, he gives her a generous portion of food, both for her and for Naomi. And you can really understand just how poor these people were. Verse 16, if you've got your sword, take a look at it. Ruth gets back to Naomi, and Naomi says what? 
I sort of imagine Naomi sitting on the edge of her seat, like coming through the door, like, how did they go, my daughter? Oh, that is so lame. It's so lame. Hebrew goes this. As she comes through the door, Naomi says, who are you? Who are you? In other words, are you his? Have you become the wife of Boaz? What was going on? Ruth blurts the whole thing out. Do you think Naomi was disappointed? What do you think? Mm, maybe, right? I reckon, a little bit. But look at her response in verse 18. Here's the godly response. Wait. Wait, my daughter. Don't go push it. Don't go manipulate it. Don't, don't try and squeeze it. Don't go put on more perfume. Wait. Now you've got to wait and see what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. What's going to happen? Is he going to have Ruth? You have to come back next week. All right? You really do, genuinely. Not for home and away, but for Ruth. Okay? Naomi has acted in godly wisdom. Ruth has acted in godly wisdom. Boaz is acting in godly wisdom. And so as we start to wrap up, we're just left with this final picture of waiting. Do you see it? At the end of chapter 223, we're doing what? We're waiting. At the end of chapter 3, we're doing what? Waiting. There's been lots of godliness and wisdom going on in between. They've done everything good, everything right, everything godly, and yet you have to wait. Because here's the thing. It's so easy, is it not, my brothers and sisters, to try, you take things into your own hands and you try and manipulate the situation to get the outcome that you want, and then you justify it because that was right in the first place, right? Be wise as you wait. Be wise before you wait. Be godly. Act within God's revealed will, concepts, commands. Pray. Seek the Lord. Seek His face. Seek His words. Seek His wise counsel through others. But there may be one or two of you sitting here this morning that are still wise in your own eyes in the sense that you have not yet surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because here's, here's what uh, Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know that it is the most foolish thing in the world to reject Jesus as Lord and Savior. You see, because then we get wise in our own eyes, don't we? I, I, is he really the way, the truth, and the life? I'm, I'm not that bad, am I? I'm not that sinful. I don't, I don't really deserve to go to hell, do I? See, that's wisdom in your own eyes. 
Here's what uh, Paul said in Corinthians. He said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I want to say to anybody here this morning, be wise. Come to the foolishness of the cross. Come to the foolishness of the cross. So as I finish, Christians, wait and be wise. Be wise and wait. If you're not a Christian, don't wait. Come to Jesus today. Don't be a fool today. Come today. Wisdom or foolishness? Wise waiting. Music.